0: Dictinus, grants us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. Man suffers only because he takes seriously what the gods made for fun. Welcome to Deep Dive 7, the 217th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of Alan Watts. Our opening and closing music are credited as Frost Alternate by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com and licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0. You may call me Ode.
1: You may call me Jax. I am Ode's brother.
0: And Gwyn is taking a mental health day, so Mm -hmm. she will not be joining us on this particular episode. So we're going to start with housekeeping. All right. The schedules are out finally for convocation. So it starts on the 23rd. It goes to, I think, the 26th. And we are teaching, Gwyn and I are teaching three classes, and then Gwyn is teaching an additional class on her own on Green Earth Witchcraft. So if you are able to attend that, we look forward to seeing you there. If you're not able to attend, I believe the plan is for us to just do a convocation roundup when we get back for our episode that week. So you'll get to hear about it. Um, but I think that's it for housekeeping. I don't think anything else dramatic is going on or is planned. So we are housekept and house swept. It's deep dives again.
1: Deep dives. So
0: time to talk about gods who aren't as popular or well-known. Which just
1: sounded cool. Which <laughs> just
0: sounded cool, yes. Yeah, sometimes we're just like... I want to talk about this one. So, Jackson, what is your first deity?
1: Okay. So, first deity I picked, I went with an Egyptian theme mm. this
0: time around. Okay. Uh,
1: so the first one I picked is, from what I looked up, it's pronounced Thoth. Okay. Uh, like like oath with a th in front, but I've also heard him referred to as Thoth. Uh, and I usually
0: thoth. I usually call him Toth, Yeah.
1: Yeah, Toth, I think. I don't know is how the, correct that is, but. I think Toth is, like, the, the generally accepted one, but when I looked it up, it said it was Thoth. Interesting. The more you know, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So this is a, a very, very interesting god because he's the god of many things. <laughs> he's the god of the moon, sacred texts, mathematics, is uh, often credited for creating both writing and hieroglyphics. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, if there's wisdom or knowledge... It's, it's related to Thoth in the Egyptian mythology. Depicted often with, like, a man with the head of an ib- ibis bird? Ibis? Yeah,
0: which is a, it's a bird with, like, a long, thin beak.
1: Yeah, um, or a baboon.
0: Mm-hmm. Played the Persona games, Thoth is there with the baboon shape.
1: <laughs> oh, that makes sense. So, he's considered to be the god without a mother? Because he was, there's two kind of creation myths for, for Thoth, which is either born from the lips of Ra at the beginning of, of creation, or that Thoth created themselves. Ooh. Yes. The reason why they're related to so many things, especially things to do with wisdom and truth and knowledge, he is primarily a god of the moon. Mm-hmm. Which not only provides light at night, but during the day, the reflection of the, of all of the things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so big in astrology and mathematics and all these things. There was an interesting tidbit that I found that in late period ancient Egypt, there was a cult of Thoth that gained a lot of prominence because K-mun, Khmun became the capital, which was mm-hmm. the center for that cult. And millions of dead Ibis birds were mummified in his honor. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Presumably over time. Where do we even get millions of of Ibis birds? Who knows? He replaced Ra at night. They traded off that sun and moon thing. Mm -hmm. The creation of the calendars are all...
0: That actually thinking about it yeah ra being the sun god and thoth being the moon god that makes a lot of sense of the like thoth being born from ra
1: Mm -hmm. mythology he was also a messenger bookkeeper for uh, gods of the dead he didn't uh judge people when they died but he kept the record of how people had been judged
0: okay so he was like the court reporter (laughs)
1: yes (laughs) he had a feminine counterpart seshet Mm. Uh, and was married to Maat, which makes right. sense. Yep, truth and order and order. I believe it was it was mentioned that he was the the one who could use Maat effectively, mm. which is probably why he was married. That so... makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> the reason why I picked Thoth was because of I was curious about the origin of the Thoth tarot deck. Mm, yes yeah and like literally all that i could find on that front was that that deck is an egyptian style and there was a lot of like well multiple styles but egyptian Uh imagery is included for Uh sure there was an early tarot deck in the 1700s that was based off of egyptian hieroglyphics
0: Mm -hmm. yeah because egyptology was very popular in england from the basically the 1600s to the 1800s. Yeah.
1: So from what I could find, uh, take this with grain of salt, but from what I could find is when esotericism began began to be more included in tarot decks, people made the association with esotericism, Egyptian mythology. Mm -hmm. So they just started attributing Thoth with with tarot. Hmm. And that's how that whole shebang happened. I have no idea. But...
0: Elle says, Thoth help me. My partner wants to teach me math. <laughs> yeah, I guess that would be in it uh, would Thoth's be, yeah. purview.
1: Mathematics was his whole shebang, mm-hmm. as were a lot of things. <laughs> the thing that I found most interesting was that Thoth is is really commonly used in like reference to Egyptian culture or anything based off of Egyptian culture meant to talk about honor or wisdom or truth. H.P. Lovecraft based Yagshagoth off of Thoth
0: oh interesting
1: mm-hmm. which is a fictional alien god meant to be associated with sorcery and esoteric knowledge makes uh, sense
0: uh-huh. well yeah. I figured I should explain <laughs> it to somebody who doesn't know <laughs> yeah I mean
1: uh, but the, so that is the end of what I could find a lot of it was just like you want some wisdom <laughs> you want to learn how to do a thing that, that originated in ancient Egypt for calendars and math Thoth for sure all him
0: So my first lesser-known deity is actually really appropriate because I also chose a god associated with the creation of writing. This is a Chinese deity. His name is, I'm going to spell it first and then try to pronounce it. Okay. It's spelled C-A-N-G-J-I-E. And I believe from the pronunciation guides I looked up that this is pronounced Zhangji. Sounds legit. Can't guarantee that, but that's my best guess. Changji was originally the Yellow Emperor's historian. So the Yellow Emperor is sort of a legendary figure who is deified, and sort of all the all the figures from that period are are deified, um, or are like significant folk heroes or or that kind of thing. Changji was the Yellow Emperor's historian, and at the time. China had no formal writing system. So he was keeping the records with a method called rope knot tying, where they tied, like, um, strings in specific patterns, apparently, and those patterns recorded information.
1: That reminds me a lot of, like, ancient Mesopotamian Mm -hmm. number
0: keeping. Yeah. Yeah. Just based on the way it's described, I do wonder if it was less like a writing system and more like an accounting system. Mm -hmm. But so that was the only method they had at that time to record information. So the Yellow Emperor tasked Changji with creating a a system to better record the histories. So Changji goes to a river and sits down and tries to figure out like, okay, how do I invent writing from whole cloth? From no context. And is just really, like, not putting together anything that works. Just not succeeding, getting really frustrated, and is about to give up when a bird, um, sometimes described as a phoenix, flies overhead and drops something in front of him on the riverbank. And what the bird drops is a hoofprint. Don't ask me how that works, but the bird drops a hoofprint in front of him
1: you feel like it would drop the hoof and then there would be a print.
0: You would think. But it's very, but like, in, it's important to the story that it's a hoof print.
1: Mythology, man. Sometimes <laughs> weird stuff happens.
0: Uh-huh. So this bird drops a hoof print somehow. <laughs> Changji doesn't recognize it, doesn't know what it is. So he finds a hunter in the area and brings him back to the hoof print and is like, what is this from? And how did a bird drop it? And the hunter is like, hmm, well, that has to be the track of a puja. It doesn't, it couldn't be anything else. It has to be the track of a puja. It's very distinctive. Each track is its own distinctive thing. So you can always identify what you're looking at based on the tracks it makes. And this like sets off a a light bulb in Zhang brain. And he goes, wait, everything has a distinctive form. I just have to condense the distinctive form of every unique thing into a a shape that you can write down with ink. He goes through and makes a whole study of everything on Earth and distills the essential form of everything into a character that that means that thing and then brings this whole collected work back to the Yellow Emperor and the Yellow Emperor is very impressed with the work he's done because, you know, a, a lot of other alphabets, all they do is come up with... You know, little symbols to represent sounds, and Zhang Zha has gone the extra mile and come up with a, an individual character for everything that exists.
1: I mean, it is very impressive. Uh
0: huh. And then from then on, that is the the writing system of China. And uh, reportedly, when it was like set in in stone, and the Yellow Emperor declared, like, yes, this will be our language. All the the gods and demons cried with, like, tears of joy, and the sky rained millet, and it was a big to-do.
1: Honestly, I thought you were going to say that they cried because it's difficult to learn.
0: (laughs) It is! It's so difficult. So I've read some um, statistics. Um, I don't have them right in front of me, but there are so many characters in the Chinese language, and each one does mean not like a... A sound, like like many alphabets, like the English alphabet, mm-hmm. a letter represents a phoneme. It represents a discrete sound. And putting those sounds together is how you get words. the The Chinese language isn't like that. Each character represents a word or concept, not a sound. So you can't build new words just from sound shapes. You have to create a whole new character for a new word. Oh, so as time progresses,
1: the alphabet only gets bigger and bigger as you add new concepts for times changing.
0: Exactly. And some words are like compound words, like they're combinations of pre-existing characters, Mm -hmm. but sometimes just a whole new character has to be created. And so there are hundreds of thousands, at this point there may actually be millions of individual discrete Chinese characters, and the vast majority of Chinese speakers only know just like a small fraction Of that full Chinese character alphabet because they only know the characters they need to use in their daily lives, which is just not all of them. So it's a really interesting writing method.
1: Yeah. Um, It's really distinctive.
0: Yeah. Chang Jia was the the person who invented uh, the Chinese writing system. Oh, I forgot. Uh, Apparently, he literally had four eyes. Hmm. So he's always um, presented in in visual representations as having two sets of eyes right on top of each other.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Okay.
0: So who is your second deity?
1: So the second deity that I picked is uh, Hathor, which is interesting because that translates out to Estate of Horus. So it may not actually be her original name. It's mm. just the name that we know
0: her as. Interesting. Uh,
1: she is a goddess of motherhood and fertility, usually either a cow or a woman with the head of a cow. hmm she was one of the forty-two state gods and goddesses, and she was the, one of the most popular and powerful for quite some time up until Isis became more popular. Um, but she was, uh, but Hathor was worshipped all the way until the end of ancient Egypt. Mm. So she was the god of of many many things, but primarily beauty, music, dancing, uh, cosmetics, mm. fertility. She's honestly kind of interesting because she's very much like a representation of femininity Mm -hmm. just in general she had a lot of men that worshiped her but she was primarily like four women Mm -hmm. there were priests and priestesses in her temples once again like the previous deity that i mentioned the temple that she was centered at that was like most common became part of one of the capitals so it became like the biggest Mm -hmm. temple too and it was in uh dendera
0: Giffa asks cosmetics?
1: Yes. So because she was the goddess of beauty, she was the patron of cosmetics. Wearing cosmetics was seen as a warm form of worship for her.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah, so apparently offerings of mirrors and cosmetic palettes was very common when you were worshiping Hathor. So like yeah, when I say so that like was... any
0: time you put on makeup, you were automatically honoring Hathor. Hathor. That's that, is, very cool. that is correct.
1: Which makes sense because from everything I've been able to find, cosmetics had a lot of importance in ancient mm-hmm. Egypt for for many different reasons.
0: Yeah, I know there's a theory that they used essentially ancient forms of eyeliner uh, as like a sun protection kind of a thing. Like they believed oh. it protected their eyes from the sun.
1: That would make sense you know have football players put that mm-hmm. like black stuff yeah. her worship began very very early and stayed very late mm-hmm. there's actually a possibility that worship for Hathor started in the pre-dynastic era mm-hmm. she is a daughter of Ra and was sometimes called the eye of Ra which is a title that is shared among many mm-hmm. So does it just
0: mean like basically gods will tattle on you to Ra?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So she's called the Eye of Ra because she was one of the sun god's defenders. Mm. So I think all of Ra's defenders were known as the Eye of Ra. Gotcha. She's the wife of Horus.
0: Which is probably where the name comes from.
1: Yeah. Oh, that does make sense. Associated with being the mother of the pharaoh because she's Horus's nurse Hmm. in an interesting sort of... And also the wife of the pharaoh as Horus's consort. Mm-hmm. Apparently, just all of the Horus. She just things. yeah.
0: She just she just fills all the roles.
1: Well, it, it makes sense because she's basically the feminine representation of every concept of femininity.
0: Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she um, fills all of the female roles.
1: A bit farther out and abroad, she's the patron of many things, especially uh, stones. In some places, in Sinai. She's called the Lady of Turquoise. Mm. In the Necropolis of Thebes, she became the Lady of the West and patron of the region of the dead. So, like, if you needed a patron for for something that was either beauty-related or something found, like, in the desert or on the outskirts, it was her. Huh. Greeks tended to associate with her with Aphrodite, which seems similar-ish, but, like, she had a lot of other... Yes.
0: Yeah. I mean that's that's usually the case. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I like the the cosmetics thing. Yes. That, like just by wearing cosmetics you were sort of automatically worshiping her. Yeah. That's very cool. And then I have one more deity. Okay. This is Terminus.
1: Terminus. Okay. Uh-huh.
0: Terminus was the ancient Roman god of boundary markers. Oh, that makes sense. So like mileposts. <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. Um, and like fences around your property and things like that. So. Um,
1: well, that's wildly specific.
0: Yeah. So the ancient writers in Rome thought that Terminus originated as a Sabine god. Mm. You may be familiar with the, them through the Rape of the Sabine Women. Um, oh yeah. That was a that was a very early like Rome sort of absorbed. But so the, the ancient Roman writers thought that Terminus was originally a Sabine deity who had been introduced to Romulus before the founding of Rome and that he like adopted Terminus as one of the ancient Roman deities when he was setting the boundaries of Rome. Mm-hmm. Modern scholarship, the theory is that Terminus was more of like a an extension of ancient animistic pre-representational Roman religion and that he was sort of just the personification of the animistic spirit of a boundary stone. And probably part of the reason that that's sort of the modern theory is that he's usually represented as just the bust of a man on top of a boundary stone.
1: Oh, interesting. Okay.
0: Yeah. In fact, I don't know of a full body representation of Terminus. As far as I'm like, sometimes you see him like as like a full torso of a man, but just on top of a boundary stone. But he's got no arms, no legs. It's just a torso and a head. That's kind of fascinating. Uh-huh. Yeah. He was actually really, really important in ancient Rome. He was honored every time you had to set a boundary of any kind. So traditionally, when you were setting the boundaries between properties, you would dig a hole where the at the corners of where the properties would meet and you would pour you would sacrifice an animal and you would put the bones the ash and the blood in the hole as well as any crops from your land like a sample of the crops from your land honeycomb and wine all of that would go into the hole um, as a sacrifice to terminus and then the, the boundary stone would be driven into the earth on top of it. Okay. And then sometimes the the boundary stone itself would be additionally washed with blood, and so that was the appropriate offering to Terminus, which was made any time you had to set a boundary. And then on a yearly basis, there would be new offerings made to Terminus by ideally by both property owners on either side of the I boundary see. stone. Okay. They would set up a little altar and they would each make offerings to Terminus, sort of collectively, uh, and his his role was to maintain peace by making sure that that boundary stayed firmly established.
1: Ah, so you would both definitely want to make offerings because if you would then favor one over the other.
0: Exactly. And having it be a yearly thing meant that you were both checking on where your boundary stones were on a yearly basis because there was an ancient crime of moving the boundary stones where if they could get away with it, someone might in the dead of night go like dig up the boundary stone and move it like usually not a huge amount, but like a few feet here, a few feet there just to gain a little extra space and then just sort of gradually sort of move it over time. And that because the boundary stones were sacred to, and in some senses, part of the body of Terminus was a crime punishable by death. If okay. you were caught,
1: I feel like the basics of this ritual and sacrifice should just still be enforced today. That would make. <laughs> good fences disputes, make good neighbors, as they say. Yeah. That would make boundary disputes, one, much more interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and two, just like men, you'd be real certain mm-hmm. of where all your boundaries are. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, and you would think, because of the. The sacrifices that mm-hmm. take place to establish the original boundary, you would think, like, if if you think the boundary stone is in the wrong place, you could prove that could check. by just picking it up and seeing if the bones of the animal sacrifice are underneath. Mm-hmm. And if not, someone moved this fucker. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's definitely a good indicator.
0: Mm-hmm. There was also a public festival to Terminus, okay. um, Terminalia. There was a particular boundary stone between rome and one of their neighbors it was like 10 miles outside of rome that was where terminalia took place and there was a temple built around this boundary stone but the understanding was that the boundary stone had to be able to see the sky so there was a hole in the middle of this temple built around the boundary stone so that it could see the sky and still have access to terminus
1: amazing just does do that account to every boundary stone? Does every boundary stone need to see That the sky? Was, that was the Would belief, Would you have to trim yeah. trees mm-hmm. if they got in
0: the way? Yeah, the belief was that they had to have free access to the sky for some reason. Okay. Yeah. The only other thing that we really know about Terminus is that he was sometimes thought to maybe be an aspect of Jupiter. Oh. Because he was sometimes referred to as Jupiter Terminalis, or there was one place where the phrase... Jupiter Ter is written, and it's thought that that's probably like an abbreviation of Jupiter Terminalis. But there's no like mythology relating Terminalis to Jupiter. It's Um, just
1: something like a terminology that survived. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So exactly what that situation is is unclear. And it may be that that was like a later development because Terminalis had been this very ancient god who was important to the ancient Romans, and then Jupiter became sort of the king of the gods, and so maybe there was just like a melding that took place there. But I think he's interesting. Like I said, he's got this very specific remit Hmm. because he's almost exclusively focused on boundary stones and and territory markers. Yeah,
1: I find that extraordinarily interesting because a lot of deities cover so much ground.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, have like really, really... Um, wide
1: portfolios. It makes you wonder if back in ancient ancient times, mm-hmm. things were much more specified, and the days that we know now were combinations of these things that yeah, have been got pieced sort of, together, yeah,
0: smooshed together. So <laughs> the um, the ancient Greeks did also have this is just a little bonus this isn't one of the gods that i prepared to talk about but so the ancient greeks had an unnamed god Mm -hmm. who was just the god of miscellaneous stuff we forgot (laughs) i love that um and they they developed this concept because at one point there was a plague that was just ravaging greece god of the junk drawer says L. basically (laughs) there was this plague that was ravaging greece they had done all the sacrifices to all the gods who they thought might possibly be related to this issue. And the plague wasn't going away. Mm -hmm. There was no resolution. They weren't getting like any divination indicating who was mad at them or why this was happening. And so eventually they were just like, okay, well, someone's upset. So I guess we just do an offering to whoever's mad at us. But there was no structure for doing that because you had to do sacrifices to specific gods. (laughs) So what they did was they did a sacrifice to the unnamed god, the unknown god of whatever it is we forgot about, who is mad at us, we assume, because we
1: forgot. That really seems like almost deifying a concept that would then portion out the offerings to whoever it actually applies to. Basically,
0: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So so this was so like that god doesn't have a name and spe- mm-hmm. like specifically doesn't and can't have a name. It's just like the concept of a god of something we forgot to give a specific god to.
1: Or <laughs> potentially a god that's been forgotten.
0: Right. Yeah. It was it was basically just like whoever we don't know who's mad at us. This god.
1: That's amazing.
0: So, like I said, I didn't plan to talk about that god, so I don't have a whole lot more information. But And that god doesn't, like I said, doesn't have a name and isn't necessarily a specific individual. But that, that was a, an interesting I feel like Greek it's concept. not a specific individual. Yeah, it's more it's, of a cult. Yeah, it's like a, it's, it's whoever shows up to this offering. <laughs> Can whomever is angry please chill out? Yeah, pretty much. We're sorry. We literally didn't know you existed. So, so, <laughs> yeah basically oh,
1: goodness i love that so much yeah
0: but i do like the idea of like because because we talk about this now of like discovering gods who have been forgotten mm-hmm. or who were never known or new gods um we talk about that as a concept in in modern paganism and the ancient greeks had the same the same problem where they were just like well someone's upset
1: now i just kind of want to put out a little bowl <laughs> uh-huh
0: so whoever we've forgotten <laughs> but that's it that's all the gods i have is that all the gods that's you have?
1: all the gods i have yeah
0: all right Then it's going to be a short episode today. That's okay. We are on Google. You can Google the number three and the letters P-A-A-C or the number three and the words Pagans and a Cat. On that Google page, you'll find a link to our website, which you can also find by typing in the number three, PagansAndACat.com. On that website, there are links to a bunch of things, including our Patreon and Gwyn's blog on pagan and... Other stuff we do, I don't know. We got a Redbubble no one ever uses. We have a Discord server where we have a cool community. Uh, We have a Facebook group that I always forget to check in on. We don't have a Twitter anymore because we gave up on it.
1: (laughs) I will say from personal experience if you forget to put two A's when Googling three pack, it'll still come up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But do be careful with social media because they're especially on instagram Mm. there have been some scammers pretending to be gwyn so gwyn is never going to send you a message out of the blue Mm. she's not going to send you a dm offering to do readings for you that Mm. is a scam artist
1: yeah it's one of those uh none of us will ever solicit readings yeah if you want a reading from gwyn you go to her
0: exactly (laughs) yeah we're not going to bring it to you i think that's everything Mm. okay so goodbye
1: and and we're done okay